This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Digging deep. This is a phrase that has a wide variety of meanings and uses, both literal and figurative, in the garden and in the body, mind, and heart. In a new year, many of us have a tendency to generate a to-do list of tasks and projects to start, to get in order, or to finally this year complete in our lives. And if we're gardeners, our gardens are not left out of this energetic attention and intention. To help integrate some of this energy, shore up your resolve and energize your physical, spiritual, and artistic muscles, this week I'm joined by Fran Soren, best-selling author, unshakable optimist, coach, and CBS radio news contributor. In 2004, with a well-established career in garden design, garden journalism, and garden coaching, Fran published Digging Deep, unearthing your creative roots through gardening. In 2016, a new revised edition of the book was published. Fran joins us today via Skype from Israel. Welcome, Fran. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here, Jennifer. So in the introduction to the original edition of Digging Deep, there was the sentence, what does it mean to be creative? In the new and revised edition of the book that came out this last year, the preface, written more than a decade later than the original, begins with this sentence, gardening is a sacred act. In these two sentences, we as readers and gardeners are introduced to three of the primary threads running through your book and in your mission in life, Fran. So I'd like to start with some context on you. Tell us a little bit about the early influences in your life that led to your passion for the natural world and the processes of creativity. Well... I was raised, you know, very middle class in upstate New York, and my mother always gardened. And I think it was the beauty of it, Jennifer. I mean, you know, I I was a typical kid. It wasn't like I was into nature. We were always outside. So I, I just had visions of the lilacs and the peonies and the roses, and I felt a profound connection with them. At the same time, I had started studying piano when I was five years old. We were living in Dallas at that time and took a great um, affinity. I had a great affinity for it and, and was pretty good at it. And that was the place where I really first started understanding what altered states of consciousness was. I would go into, by the time I was 10 years old, when I was practicing the piano after school, um, after I did my scales, I would literally have peak experiences when I was playing. I mean, I would go into an altered state. And I understood even implicitly then that this was something quite extraordinary. And it wasn't until I got to college or my senior year in high school where I learned about Abraham Maslow and was able to put two and two together and say, so this is what it's about. So this is creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just kind of all came together that way. So that's that's my background. And, and then in hindsight, you know, I, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, you never understand your life as whole until you've been through it. And it's mm-hmm. almost like looking back on my past now, I understand how plants were always an integral part of my life. I mean, even in college in Chicago, I was living in a basement apartment and I had 50 plants in my room. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. And now I'm thinking, wow, you know, what young woman, 18 year old in college does that? 
Right. So, you know, we can look at ourselves in hindsight and see the, the threads that kind of wove together. Yeah. And so describe the process that led you to becoming a garden designer and garden coach. Well, I just started when I, I always was gardening. And when we moved into a new home and I had an infant and a toddler and we had built it and it was very, very ugly. There's nothing else to say about it. And it was absolutely no landscaping except, um, you know, just a few bushes out front. And I was desperate. I thought, oh my God, here's my dream home and what can I do? And I had only been a weekend gardener up until that point. I had lived in older homes and was great at, you know, pulling things out and putting them together. And so I just started planting. I just started doing things, Jennifer, and I didn't know what I was doing. And one thing led to another and I was gardening on a very steep hill for a very long time. And then I was lucky enough to meet Chris Woods, who at that time was the private gardener at Chant- which was Chanticleer, a private garden. And he became more or less, um, you know, my teacher. Yeah. And you have beautiful descriptions of some of these experiences, the early piano work, and then your experience mm. with um, developing the garden and yourself as a gardener at this this new mm-hmm. house. In Digging Deep, by the time you get to to this sort of really culmination or, or one point of culmination in your work that you write the book Digging Deep, you state that your mission is to show new and experienced gardeners alike how they can use their gardens, be they rolling manicured lawns or tiny blank plots of land as tools for their creative awakening. When you are reading the book, it's clear that this is a process you went through and then Mm -hmm. began to articulate this process so that it would be shareable with other people. Describe for gardeners not familiar with this process some of the, the steps you set out in the book, Fran, to help people do this. Sure. I think what happens, first of all, as we know, gardens, our gardens are mirrors of our souls. Mm -hmm. And so for me, gardening, it could be music. Everything is a metaphor for who we are. And I think what happens in life, especially now we're living in such fast times, we're so technologically obsessed. So even when we go out into the garden, as much as there are passionate gardeners, there are a lot of people who are doing it as a chore. They have to get it done. Or even passionate gardeners are racing to get it done, especially during gardening season. And we forget to slow down. We forget to really say to ourselves, okay, let me look at this piece of land with new eyes. Let let the land speak to me first. Let me acquaint myself with my property in a different way. And that takes really the ability to awaken your senses and then to open up your imagination. Because, again, I think we get caught up in seeing our garden with the same eyes over and over and over again. So what I like to do and what I've done for myself and um, with other people is to really say to yourself, okay, so you've got, if somebody says to me, okay, I've got this small backyard and I really would love to turn it into something from where they've been traveling. I, I, I tell them, just imagine whatever it is you want. Use your imagination. Get out of thinking that it has to be this way or that way. So I think the first step is opening to possibility that anything is possible. And that's a huge first step. 
a lot of people don't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a couple of exercises in the book to help people Mm -hmm. on this process, because I think to say those words will open up your imagination is is great, but sometimes we don't even know where we aren't being imaginative, right? Um, You don't know what you don't know. I mean, all of us, we all have our blind spots. Isn't that the truth? It is true. So describe if you had three of the exercises from Mm. this book that you would recommend people take on in this first month of the new year to help with this process? Describe Mm -hmm. those to us. First of all, a nature walk. I'm a firm believer that this is a critical tool. And when I say a nature walk, and I'm talking about a daily one, 20 to 30 minutes, or even if if you you have 10 minutes, uh, some time is better than no time. But it's really walking mindfully in nature in order to awaken your senses. Mm. It's not just walking to get exercise. It's not having your headphones on. It's not talking on a cell phone. It's looking at nature. If you take a walk in your neighborhood every day, look at it with open eyes each time. There is magic out there in nature and it's glorious. It's phenomenal. So it's really teaching yourself um, to do that and then making contact with one, if it can be the bark of a tree, you can pick up a leaf, I don't care what it is, but get up close and personal with a piece of something you found outside, a pine cone, and really I'm familiar with it. And that will open you up to tremendous possibilities. Just doing that, changes your neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I highly recommend that. I think a lot of people think, oh, how can that be helpful? Trust me, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. The other thing I love, this time of year is a perfect time to be bringing flowers into your home. And my very favorite exercise, and everybody loves it, is called playing with flowers. And what you do, you go to a market and just get a slew of flowers. Don't spend a lot of time contemplating. I mean, you know, use your imagination. I wouldn't get one of each if you can limit yourself to three or four colors and and get a few dozen flowers. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, go to your grocery store. But then you come home and you take out every container imaginable. And it can be a soup tureen. It can be um, a bathroom cup. It can be anything. And turn on some fantastic music, whatever kind of music you love. Get yourself a cup of tea or a glass of wine and then just start playing with flowers. And it's not about doing an arrangement. Already the, already the term arrangement sounds very contrived to me. It's about letting loose and playing and just having fun and seeing how does it look when I put this together? How does it look when I do that? And because you're working with different containers, you can keep on fooling around. It is such a freeing exercise. And meanwhile, it also teaches you about color combinations and putting different shapes together. The results of that, I've seen people... Um, I actually do it at flower shows uh, and we have demonstrations and young kids come up to do it and elderly people. And it's a hoot to watch people doing it because they really let loose. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I love the idea of this exercise. So I'm going to give it a try, Fran, because you've recommended it. In the book, I this was a, one of the 
passages that I underlined, um, which is in relation to this activity or this activity is a follow-up from it. And it says, if you take only one thing from this book, let it be to play in your garden. Play in the dirt, play with ideas, play with new projects, play with possibilities, not just now in the initial stages, but every single day you are in the garden. I just thought that was beautiful, Fran. Thank you. And it's the truth. I mean, if we, I think we take ourselves so seriously. And after all, when we're in the garden, it's it's a paradox, Jennifer, because it is such a sacred act. We're so privileged. And we've been doing this for generations, thousands of years. But we should be playful. We should be joyous about it. It's not serious, serious work. And you don't have to be the best at it. It's, this is not a competition. So I think the flower exercise really does open people up to the idea of playfulness. So where you are in your life now, visually describe mm-hmm. your primary garden for us. What What is the climate? And what you're are- going to be no, you're going to be shocked. This is the first time I do not have a garden. I just moved from a penthouse, a rooftop garden in Tel Aviv, and I had incredible gardens there—a front and a back garden—and I had I made the decision to move to a smaller place because I also wanted to keep a place in Philadelphia. So right now what I'm doing is I'm beginning to dream my new garden Mm. Um, because it is, it was heartbreaking for me. It's the first time I've been without a garden in my life. But then when there's an end to something, there's also an opening. Mm. And I've always wanted my garden in upstate New York. So I am beginning to dream about it. And some of our friends, some of, you know, common people that we both know have invited me to come up there in the spring and to start noodling around and looking. Nice. And so, so in that garden, in your, in in your dream garden in upstate New York, what are, what are two or three elements that stand out that at this point in your life, you absolutely have to have? Oh, you mean the deal breaker? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a relationship after all. It is. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think a pasture, a meadow, some kind of meadow, uh, an expansive look. Uh, very, again, very rustic, like my like my Bryn Mawr garden, even though I lived in a very stylized neighborhood. Um, my Bryn Mawr garden was very, very rustic. And being surrounded by wildlife... Yeah. Much more rural. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Fran Soren, garden designer, coach, radio and TV personality, and best-selling author of the book, Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. This week, we're speaking with Fran Soren, gardener, author, unshakable optimist, coach, and radio news contributor. We're back to hear more about some ideas on how our gardens can help to integrate the gardening, creative, and spiritual aspects of our lives. In your past garden, I will then yes. uh, apply this question to your, yes. your last garden or, or and maybe it's also in your fantasy future garden, your dream garden now. Um, in any given day or week, how do you personally interweave these processes into your routine? 
Well, I think I'm like everybody else. I mean, I'm busy. I'm a professional person. It's not that I have four hours a day to get out in the garden five days a week or seven days a week. But my philosophy is that even if it's 15 minutes, there were times when I was out very, very early in the morning, just weeding and taking it in. There was always the, there is always an opportunity with each breath we take without sounding hokey to make it a mindful breath, to make it very special. So rather than just rushing out in the morning and saying, okay, I'm going to do this weeding, this little patch here for 15 minutes. It's a matter of walking out and really taking notice of your surroundings, taking some deep breaths and moments of gratitude and then bending down on all fours, getting some yoga poses in and just marveling, especially when the soil is damp, when you start weeding, it's beyond delicious. So that's the integration of it. And of course, at, at my peak, I was more than a passionate gardener where I could spend an entire afternoons out there and be relentless. Um, so it just depends on who you are, what stage of life you're at, and what type of commitment you want to make. And I think at this point in my life, I am most focused on people who really have it in their minds that they don't have the time or they're not good enough mm. at gardening. And neither of that is true. Of course, you have the time. If you have 15 minutes a day, you can do it. And of course, you just need beginner's mind, period. And you you make that point very nicely in the in the opening to the book that, you know, if you think you're not creative, look again at your life and the things that you do, whether it's the way you dress or how you put your house together, how you design your schedule each day, how you prepare a meal, that there's creativity in everything we do, even if we are not completely conscious of that in each step of the way. Between the the original book and this new revised edition it seems to me it's it's quite clear to me that you yourself dug even deeper from from the first go oh. to this new revised edition oh and that is this really strong integration of spirit and spirituality and there were a couple of thresholds and events in your life that seem to have helped create this new layer to the book describe what happened in your own life that brought this new element in in such a bigger way? And um, okay, yeah. Well, first of all, let me say when the book was sold um, in two thousand and four, or it was actually two thousand and three originally. I was told it was sold as a creativity, uh, gardening, and spirituality book. And I was told to minimize the spirituality. Mm. Back then, it was not as acceptable. So I always had that piece, but you are on target in what you say, that in fact, I have deepened my spiritual practice tremendously. Uh, I think it was in 2007 when I really felt I needed to be part of a spiritual community. And um, I'm not a religious person, and I've always felt whether you're Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Islam, it doesn't matter to me. So I ended up going to seminary in New York, an interfaith seminary, and spent two years there studying. And that really catapulted me. It was a tool for me to really open up to myself in a different way. And now my life, you know, I have spiritual practices every day, and it really is about connection. It's about nature. It's about gratitude. And bottom line, it's all about love. And in the garden, uh, the kind of relationships we have with our plants, not to belittle 
people, our, our, our forepaws, our dogs, our cats, but we can have very profound relationships with our garden and the plants in our garden. And I think that's critical for people to become aware that it's okay. And, you know, we used to laugh at Prince Charles when he was talking about talking to his plants. Well, wasn't he right on? <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Remember those days? Definitely. We, well, he was ahead of his times. In the new preface to the revised edition, you talk at length about this idea of the sacred act and what it then brings, what we bring to it and what it then returns to us. Um why is this a really important message for you to put out in the world at this time, Fran? Oh, you're such a good questioner. You're so profound. I think our connection to nature as I get older and I, you know, my children are grown and believe it or not, I even have some grandchildren at this point. Um, I've always been attracted to indigenous tribes, whether it's Ecuador or New Mexico, and I see the profound connection they have with nature. Nature is their teacher. And in our culture, this is not the case. I don't know any other way we can learn about being sacred without rituals and being part of nature and being connected to it. And as I get older with the cycles of life, just what I was describing, that I'm now a new grandmother and seeing my parents, uh, you know, both of them are dead now, and seeing myself get older, the idea of wabi-sabi and the impermanence of all of us. And I think nature is such a phenomenal teacher to give us acceptance of our own humanity and to understand we are just part of a much, much bigger picture. I can't imagine anything more sacred, Jennifer, than this connection yeah. to nature. I just, it, to me, it's the the... I don't even have the word for it. It's rapture. Is there anything else you would like to add and tell us um, before we go? No, I am very emotional. I think you caught me. I, I mean, I really had to stop myself from tears as we were talking. Um, and it's not from sadness. It's just I think it's such a, um, for me, such a, uh, I don't want to say profound again, but such a meaningful place to be. And and I I don't like preaching and I don't like, um, coming through as a, you know, evangelical gardener, <laughs> but I just, <laughs> you know, I don't sound like that at all. Do I, Jennifer? No, but you don't <laughs> because you come from a place of sincerity, not you should do this or, or you oh, can't I don't do that. In, and yeah. I, laugh, you know, I laugh at all of that because to me, um, it's all, it's all nonsense, uh, how people garden. It's the process of gardening. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I just think, that to have your garden, to have a garden wherever you live, I've seen it with a friend of mine who moved from Pennsylvania and she's now in California. She's very sick and they only have a patio in their place right now. And she came from a very large garden and it really is revitalizing her even through her illness. And I think our gardens will always be there for us, regardless of whether it's joyful times or sad times. It's a very unique relationship. So I want everybody to experience what I've experienced and look forward to experiencing again. I would love to finish with you reading the first section of your preface to the new edition. 
this is describing my practice with clients, my coaching yeah. practice. We dig deep and together excavate and discard limiting paradigms that are keeping them from experiencing a rich and vibrant life. They learn to focus on the present and future and let go of the past with intent and inspiration. The result is that these extraordinary individuals develop the skills and self-confidence to dream big and live the life of their dreams, one filled with creativity, joy, and well-being. Gardening is a sacred act. When you dig a hole in the ground and feel the soil in the palm of your hand, or as it crumbles between your fingers, you're participating in a ritual that's been taking place since the dawn of humankind. There's a rhythm to gardening that soothes our soul and awakens our senses. It's through observing and celebrating the change of seasons that we can learn to accept our own human journey from gestation to birth, death, and beyond. Working in the garden over time, we learn to appreciate the Japanese aesthetic wabi-sabi. Everything is imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete. Eventually, often without even trying, we discover ourselves sinking into the wabi-sabi of life. We become less judgmental of ourselves and others and find ourselves more accepting of our own humanness. Thank you, Fran, very much for being a guest today. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's been a privilege. Fran Soren is a best-selling author, unshakable optimist, coach, and CBS Radio News contributor. Her book, Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening, was originally published in 2004. A new revised edition came out in 2016. With this episode, Cultivating Place concludes one full year of weekly programming on North State Public Radio. It's been an education and an adventure, hearing from people across the country, immersed in this endeavor of cultivating their places, from landscape and floral design to ecological restoration, from historic flower shows to sustainable prisons, from philosophy to spirituality, from leading scientists to world-class artists and authors. Cultivating Place is based on the belief that the art of garden cultivation is a foundational element of our cultural literacy, and that gardens and gardening provide a unique and uniquely beautiful bridge connecting us to our larger environments. Our weekly interviews explore the many different ways people come to and bring to life what cultivation of place means and how it's being done. In our second year of production, we're looking forward to even more exploration and celebration, and also a little bit of digging deeper ourselves, especially in conversations with individual home gardeners. If you're interested in daily offerings of Cultivating Place, make sure to follow along on Instagram. Want to know who the guest and topic of the week will be? Each Wednesday, we let you know on both Instagram and Facebook. Monthly, you can also receive a newsletter, which includes direct links to each of the month's episodes. If you're interested in receiving this, just send me an email. All information is at jewelgarden.com. As always, for this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, go to mynspr.org. In her book, Digging Deep, Fran Soren cites a Chinese proverb which says, When you have only two pennies left in the world, buy a loaf of bread with one and a lily with the other. I like this balance of pragmatism and generous appreciation. Thank you for listening. 
Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.